You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 667 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Wednesday evening. Almost Thanksgiving as we record here in Atlanta and uh, plenty to get to about the Hawks and the Bucks on Wednesday night. A pretty competitive effort from the Hawks, honestly. They lost by nine points, but it was probably closer than that. It was very competitive until the last you know minute or so of this contest. And honestly, I said this on Twitter, but the Hawks played pretty well for about 42 of the 48 minutes. There was one bad stretch in this game in the first quarter that ended up biting them in the end, but still a pretty good effort. They covered the spread with ease, and uh, that's usually a good indication that the team played relatively well in this spot. Um, before we get to the game, though, one quick update from before the game actually started, actually actually from Tuesday, was a Kevin Herter update that arrived um, at shoot-around slash practice. On Tuesday, Lloyd Pierce said that they thought he was going to be, quote, sooner rather than later, end quote, for Kevin Herter to be back, which is obviously a good thing. That was the anniversary of the two-week timetable that was put forth um, when he was uh, sort of an initial injury. That was his reevaluation day. And um, apparently after that reevaluation, the Hawks announced then that uh, Herter has been cleared to begin modified on-court work and return to play rehabilitation. So um, that's a good sign. Obviously, he is not cleared for full contact or full anything like that. But modified on-court work is usually a good sign when it comes to a guy getting back on the floor. He has been ruled out for the entire road trip, which is uh, all the way through Saturday. The Hawks do return um, for home games on Monday and Wednesday um, next week. But uh, Travis Schlenk, also on the radio on 92.9 The Game on Tuesday, said that they were hoping for a 7-10 to 10 day window for Herter from that point forward. Um, after that Monday-Wednesday stretch when, when they play at home, um, the Hawks don't play again for three full days before they return to the court in Charlotte on the 8th of uh, December. That might be a good projection to see when Herter might be back. Maybe that Wednesday game against uh, Brooklyn. Or that Sunday game next Sunday on the 8th against Charlotte as a uh, relatively sort of um, accurate timetable to what the Hawks were saying. So nothing definitive at this point in time, but still pretty good stuff across the board because obviously the Hawks do need Kevin Herter in a big way. So a pretty good report, and that's kind of all you can ask for at this juncture. Um, to the game, though, itself, uh, it ended up being the Hawks' eighth straight loss, which is obviously unfortunate. They've lost 14 of 16 since opening the season 2-0. and um, Still, though, the Hawks haven't won in Milwaukee since 2016, and uh, Chris Middleton was back for the Bucks. This was a spot where the Hawks were not expected to win. Clearly, they were 14.5-point underdogs. That matches their largest point spread of the season. Um, and the other one was the second night of a back-to-back in L.A. against the Lakers. So, with no rest issue here, that was obviously, um, at, least, at least according to Vegas, the most difficult spot of the season for the Hawks, and you can't um, necessarily disagree with that based on what uh, transpired throughout this game. But still, the Hawks uh, play pretty pretty well in the spot, um, and really it was the story of the game was Jabari Parker offensively. Jabari had it going in the early going, and they kind of kept on going for most of this game, but he scored 10 of the first 12 points. The other bucket in that stretch was a broken play lob from Cam Reddish to Damian Jones, but um, still uh, kind of pretty impressive start from Jabari in his uh, in his old stomping grounds back in Milwaukee. Uh, he got it going early and often, um, but from that point forward in the first quarter, it was really, really ugly, honestly. That was the one bad stretch of the game that I alluded to a second ago. 
from the uh, sixth 13 mark of the first quarter to the end of the quarter, the Bucks went on an 18-0 run. The Hawks did not score for more than six minutes, and it was uh, that kind of put the uh, put them in a bad spot throughout the rest of the game. Atlanta trailed 33 to 17. To their credit, they actually ended up coming all the way back, which is a good um, a good piece of uh, work from the Hawks. But honestly, that's you know if you're looking at the story of this game, sort of from a game a game flow perspective, that was the one spot where things kind of let off for the Hawks. A big part of that was about a five-minute stretch when the Hawks did not have Trey Young on the court. Um, it was a Bembry-Turner lineup for Atlanta, and that's kind of untenable offensively for my, um, for my mind, particularly when they're playing with a center. Like maybe if you can get by with a small ball lineup with those two, th- th- those two guys on the court, it might work. But when you're playing with Damian Jones or Bruno Fernando. That isn't going to work offensively. We saw that um, obviously in this spot, and Trey sat for that entire time at the in the last five minutes or so. That was not um, a big surprise given what we saw offensively um, at the end of the first quarter. The non-Jabari Parker members of the Hawks were three of seventeen from the floor. It was all Jabari in the first, and the defense kind of struggled to get things going. Um, Again, to their credit, the Hawks played good defense in the last three quarters of this game. But in the first quarter, they had a 150 defensive rating. That's pretty ugly, of course. Um, did settle in though on both ends of the floor, honestly. Especially offensively in the early going of the second quarter, they scored 14 points in the first three minutes with some stuff from uh, Trey Young and Cam Reddish in there mixed in with Jabari. Couldn't get stops for a while though, but finally they started stabilizing things after they got down by as many as 17 points in the first half. Parker and Young scored 30 of the first 39 for Atlanta, and uh, that, that was a trend that, that would continue throughout the game. The Hawks did, did get it back to eight though, um, midway through the, through the period after that um, after that big time deficit that they were in. A nice boom by DeAndre Hunter to get to his left and finish. Um, actually, not, not finish, but actually draw a foul going to his left. A nice strong move from him that I wanted to point out during that run. There was a 13 to four overall run from the Hawks to get the lead down, down to seven points, and from there it was some back and forth stuff. But the end of the first half was all Hawks. After a weird possession where Giannis Antetokounmpo was called for a flagrant one foul on Jabari Parker um, when he was shooting a three, Parker made all three free throws and then Evan Turner hit hit a jump shot in the same possession for a five-point possession for the Hawks. Before that started, the Hawks were down, Hawks were down by 12, uh, and from that point forward, it was all Hawks because that five-point possession turned into uh, five more points quickly from Jabari Parker in the uh, next couple of trips. The Bucks uh, shot too early at the end of the at the end of the half as well, and then ended up with a Jabari Parker to Trey Young pass kick ahead, and Young hit a buzzer beater to get the lead down to one, a 13 to two run in the last three minutes of the game. Uh, sorry, of the first half after the flagrant foul was assessed to Giannis, and uh, the momentum sh- like a sharply swung in favor of Atlanta. Getting it to one was fairly impressive there with how uh, with, with the Hawks were down by 17 just a few minutes before that. So credit to them for a big time run there. Um, the Bucks stopped making shots in the second quarter, which was very helpful, but a 29 point total quarter from Parker and Young, just those two alone in the second quarter, that's very, very impressive for anybody under any circumstances. And Parker had 25 and 8 at the half and only 13 shots. Young had 16 at the half, and uh, that was fairly impressive as well. Uh, to uh, before, before we get to, this, to the second half of this game, as well as the individual stuff, I do want to take a second to talk about the good folks at MyBookie. Attention to past, present, and future MyBookie players. For this week, only MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game on Thursday. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congratulations. If you, if you do that, you have extra holiday spending money. And if you lose... 
congrats to you as well, because my bookie will give you all of your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally can't lose. It's all gravy and no risk. It doesn't matter whether you're a, uh, an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come in play, so quit waiting around and sign up today. If you find yourself wanting to sports bet, have lots of questions, don't sweat that at all because my bookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is, if you join now, you'll have one last shot to take advantage of this incredible sign-up offer. Log in to mybookie.ag, make your first deposit with promo code Locked On NBA. And my bookie will match your first deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll, and that's on top of a risk-free bet. So one more time, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for this week only. If you are a true football fan, you don't want to let this opportunity pass you by because you simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part today. Hop on the gravy train and get in the action with my bookie. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, and we're back to talk about the rest of the game as well as the individual performances in this spot for Atlanta. Uh, the second half was uh, obviously not quite as kind as the as the first as the Hawks took a one-point deficit into the second half and lost this game by nine points. But for most of the second half, the Hawks were in good position because they opened the second half with a 7-2 to run. They actually pushed the Lee overall run to 20-4 to between the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. So basically all Hawks for about a six, seven-minute period there between those two quarters. Um, the Hawks led, led by four points, actually, after trailing by 17. That was a massive run from Atlanta. Uh, Jabari and Trey were relentless during that period. Jabari had 31-10 uh, early in the third quarter. That was really, very, very impressive, and th- those two had 56, 56 points in the first 81 for Atlanta. They did cool off, unfortunately, for the Hawks in this spot a little bit, but um, you know, credit to the defense, honestly, for the way they played in the second half of this contest. The Hawks led by five with about four minutes to go in the third quarter. They actually didn't score the entire rest of the quarter, but the defense did such a good job that they took a one-point lead into the fourth quarter because they only allowed four points. And honestly, in the second half, if you told me that they that you hold Milwaukee to 51, that's probably going to get you a win more often than not when you're only down by one point in a game that was uh, played with a relatively fast pace, but the offense just kind of gave away a little bit. But the defense was actually much, much better after the first quarter than you might have thought and if you watched this uh, game sort of in a more casual nature. But the fourth quarter um, was all Bucks for the most part. Um, there was a four-point possession that ended up being a, kind of a big swing. The Hawks never n- never led again after this. There was a four-point possession where Giannis got to the rim, scored, got fouled, missed the free throw, but then they got an offensive rebound and a layup after that, and then Milwaukee went, went from down one to up three. And uh, again, from that point forward, the Hawks never actually got back into the lead. There was a nice street, uh, sequence where they actually got a nice finish from Cam Reddish through contact at the rim, which was nice to see from him, and a Jabari Parker dunk to get back within a two-point margin at 90-88. to 88. But from there, it was a little bit more comfortable for Milwaukee, a three-point play for Eric Bledsoe. They, do, they did have it to two at one point with about six and a half minutes to go. Um, but a lot of Milwaukee advantages from there. Uh, a lot of turnovers, honestly, for the Hawks in the last seven minutes or so. Uh, Hunter had one to lead to an Ilyasova layup on the other end of the floor. Um, Vince Carter missed a three and then actually had a charge moments, moments later. Um, the Hawks didn't score for about two minutes and 40 seconds from 6'11 to 3.33. That was a big swing because Milwaukee wasn't necessarily putting the game away, but the Hawks just could not close the gap. Lloyd Pierce said after the game that they just missed a lot of open shots in the fourth quarter. I would tend to agree with that. It wasn't all that. There were some turnovers as well, but certainly some opportunities that were left on the table for the Hawks in the fourth quarter. A Middleton three put them up by nine. The Bucks up by nine points, and uh, from that point forward, that was kind of it. They did get within five briefly after Middleton missed a fadeaway, and then Young found Jones for a lob dunk. But then there was a uh, a bucket from Dante, Dante DiVincenzo to get it back to seven. Hunter missed a mid ranger, and then uh, a couple of. 
I would say bad possessions, not ter- not necessarily terrible possessions, but Jabari got blocked at the rim by Brook Lopez, and then Trey missed a floater. There was a uh, there was a nice corner three from DeAndre Hunter to get back get, get it back to seven, but um, Young turned it over after that. Shortly thereafter, another offensive foul, and sort of culminated with a uh, a frustration offensive foul plus technical foul sequence on on Trey Young near midcourt. Um, it only cost the Hawks one point necessarily because of the. Uh, Foul rule, but still down by nine at that point in time, and they got it. And then Jabari uh, got blocked um, by Giannis to kind of end the game. It was probably over at that point already when when Trey got the technical foul, but um, that was pretty much going to be it from there. The Hawks just couldn't score honestly in the fourth quarter. They only had twenty points, and it felt like it. You know, the second half, forty three points. It was not necessarily as brutal as that makes it sound in some respects, but um, the numbers are not as not as forgiving as you might think. Um, you know, honestly. The Hawks only scored 23, sorry, more than 23 points in any quarter once in this game. They had 42 in the second. If you remove the second quarter, the offensive numbers are pretty ugly. I don't, um, I'm not going to read them off to you quarter by quarter here, but it's certainly, uh, if you do, if you do the math, 40, 42 of the, of the 102 in one quarter would lead you to the second, to the second half in the first quarter not being so common. And in the second half, the Hawks shot 18 of 48 from the floor, four of 16 from three. So. If you just told me that, that they're going to do that against Milwaukee in any half, you're probably going to lose. So I do understand some of what some some of the uh, reservation there, but defensively they did a pretty good job. S- same half, 44% shooting from Milwaukee, three of 14 from three, seven turnovers. That's not great shakes from the Bucks. You know, Giannis was fantastic, hit 16 points, but other than that, the Hawks did a pretty good job defensively. They just, they just couldn't score, and uh, that was unfortunate given the circumstances that were happening there. But you know, big picture for the entire game. Atlanta's defense was not the problem. You know, the first quarter was what it was. We talked about how bad it was in the first quarter for that six-minute period, basically the entire first quarter. But from there, still a 107 offensive rating. I'm sorry, 107 defensive rating for the entire game. That is above average for what the Hawks team is capable of doing. And when you translate that to being um, on the road in Milwaukee against a great, a, a sort of a great offense, that's good defense throughout the game from from Atlanta. They had some help for sure from Milwaukee, but still played well defensively, particularly for the last three quarters. Offensively. Not so much. Uh, 98.5 offensive rating is going to get you beat um, almost every time. And Milwaukee's defense is very, very good. That's obviously not a uh, great matchup for Atlanta's offense, particularly without Herter and Collins. But, um, you know, basically aside from Parker and Young, there was not a lot to be excited about offensively in this game. Uh, the bench, and I think Chris Kirshner of the Athletic was the first person I saw that pointed this out, but the bench was 5 of 25 from the floor and 2 of 12 from 3. That's bad. Uh, the four wings that the Hawks deployed in this game, uh, obviously Reddish and Hunter in the starting lineup, and then Crab and uh, Bembry off the bench, those four guys combined to shoot 5 of 26. So you just can't have that kind of lack of production from a lot of your role players. Uh, you know, 62 points from Trey and Jabari is going to get you a long way, but they have to have some help, and they really never got it offensively the rest of the game here. Um, and by the way, as a note, before we get to the individual stuff in this game, the Hawks were plus three when Trey Young on the floor in 35 minutes. They were minus 12 without him in 13 minutes. That kind of tells the story of what happened or what didn't happen in this game. And uh, it was sort of a two-man offense and uh, not, not, not going to be enough against uh, Milwaukee on the road. Um, individually, we can get to the individual players as we always do on the podcast. And uh, as, I, as I said before, the bench was pretty ugly. No one on the bench scored more than four points. Alan Crabb was 0 of 6 from the floor, 0 of 4 from 3, had zero points. He was plus 4. Um, basically, that was him just being tethered to the right lineups. But Crabb had some trouble. He did have four assists. That's a small victory for Alan Crabb. But if he's not making shots, it's tough to play him a, a ton. And we saw that in this game. Um, he is a good shooter, and there's no question about that. I'm not really worried about him not making shots. But he didn't make them in this game, and it makes it tough for him. 
Um, Evan Turner did not have it going necessarily in this spot. Had three block shots, which is a bit strange to say out loud in 14 minutes of play. But two of seven from the floor. Had four points and five rebounds. I thought Turner wasn't as bad as the numbers indicated, but um, not his best. Not his best in the last couple of weeks. I think he's actually been playing pretty well, but not, not necessarily tonight. Vince Carter was pretty quiet. Had five rebounds and three points. Made a big three at one point in time that they needed, but um, that was about it for him. Bembry was certainly up and down slash shaky. Even his defense in this game was not particularly great by his standards. I think he has a couple moments where he was kind of bad, in my opinion. Still made some plays defensively. Had a steal, but you know one of those one of those nights for Bembry had four points and four rebounds in 22 minutes. And then Bruno Fernando, 16 minutes off the bench, three three points, two assists, two rebounds, and a turnover, minus 12. Um, I'm going to lump this in here. I guess it's probably a good time to do it now, but Alex Lynn did not play in this game, and to my knowledge, Alex Lynn was healthy, and he was not in the injury report. I have an issue with that. Um, I've said this before in the last couple of weeks. I don't want to make it an every single podcast reference for me, but I think Alex Lynn is the best center on the team, so not playing him at all is a choice that the Hawks can, I guess, sort of defend. I do understand playing Bruno because Bruno is at least tangentially part of the future. He might not be your starting center of the future, but they certainly invested a high draft pick in him. He is a talented player. But not playing Alex Lynn at all is interesting to me. I know the matchup is not necessarily great against a team that spaces you out like Milwaukee does, but Alex Lynn is still, in my opinion, too good to not play um, at all on this basketball team. So that's something to certainly circle and come back to moving forward. I was not there. I couldn't necessarily follow up on that, but just a weird choice in my opinion. But I, I, I guess at the, at the same time, it's tough to play all three centers. So if they have sort of a mandate, at least in someone's mind, to play Bruno every game and they want to keep starting Damian Jones, the minutes do get a little bit short. I would be starting Alex Lynn. I am on record as saying that. I still believe it. But yeah, I mean, it's not like an absolutely outrageous decision, but it's something that I would not necessarily do if it was me. Anyway, um, back to Bruno. I thought he was okay. Had some flashes. Wasn't fantastic by any means. This is a bad matchup for him in a lot of ways because you have to execute really well against Milwaukee, and execution is not, not, not necessarily Bruno's forte right now. We saw his physicality at, at different times, but not great for him off the bench, and again, none of the five guys off the bench were very good in this spot. Um, also, Chandler Parsons and Ty Wallace did not play. No big surprise there. Uh, to the starters, Cam Reddish was pretty quiet in this game. Six points, an assist, and a rebound. Two of five from the floor, one of four from three. Defensively had some nice moments, I thought, but offensively didn't really do a whole lot. He had he took one very bad shot, in my opinion, uh, in the second half. But other than that, he was just kind of quiet, kind of floaty. Um, early in the game, he kind of looked like he didn't have a ton of energy. I'm not sure if that was just him um, getting hidden a little bit or, or what was going on there. But he wasn't terrible by any means. I didn't think he was uh, good either, but he was just kind of floating out there. And um, impact-wise, wasn't wasn't a huge game for Cam. Um, DeAndre Hunter was 2 of 11 from the floor, which is, I'm sure was gonna, is going to grab the headlines. Just the fact that he struggled as a shooter in this game was 0 of 5 on twos. Um, had 10 points, 5 rebounds. But Lloyd Pierce went out of his way after the game to talk about um, how good Hunter was, which I thought was interesting, to be honest with you. But he, he definitely, Pierce definitely um, sort of praised the effort and the energy level for the entire team kind of repeatedly in the postgame. I think he was pretty happy with, with the way they played in this spot, just to say that, that they basically couldn't make shots late. But Hunter got some individual praise about the way that he competed, um, despite his ugly numbers. They thought he, at least Pierce thought that he was pretty he was pretty good in this game. I would tend to agree with that. You know, the shooting is obviously bad, but I thought Hunter gave good effort, gave good defense, and just was a, at least a factor in the spot. And it's a good sign when a guy can be a positive contributor for the most part, despite shooting 2 of 11. And I thought that he actually was able to do that in this game. Uh, Damian Jones, 21 minutes. 
10.6 rebounds, an assist, and a block shot for Damian. Had a nice dunk. Um, he, By the way, I tweeted this as well, but he tries to dunk everything, which I really appreciate about Damian Jones. He got fouled on one, but he was he's always trying to wind up and dunk on somebody, which I definitely like about him. He's very aggressive when he gets near the rim. Defensively had some ugly moments. Uh, he was letting Brook Lopez get loose a little bit in the first half. He's one of the bigger culprits of being lost and being in the wrong place at the wrong time in the first quarter when the defense was not so good. But... He did settle in a little bit, as most of the guys did on the team. I don't think he was fantastic by any means, and um, defensive rebounding was still a problem for the Hawks in this game. It wasn't necessarily bad, though. Um, you know, Only 10 offensive rebounds for Milwaukee. Milwaukee only rebounded about 22% of their misses, so not a good, sorry, not a bad um, defensive rebounding performance from, from the team as a whole. A lot of that was Jabari with nine with nine defensive rebounds. Also, Vince had five. Um, still not a lot of rebounding for Davy Jones on the on the defense, on the defensive glass, but I thought he was at least decent for the most part in this game. And then you get to the the top two guys offensively. Trey Young, 29 points, seven assists, four rebounds, and a steal for Trey. 12-24 from the floor, three of seven from three. What else can you say about this? Obviously, Trey was very, very good in this game. You cannot argue with 29-7 uh, on good efficiency, only three turnovers. Uh, he was just genuinely good throughout this game. It was definitely Jabari's night with the way that things started, but um, in the second half, Trey was the best player for the Hawks offensively, and you know he makes everything go for this offense, not breaking any ground there, but that was uh, yeah all I need to say about that, but he was just very good in this game. And then Jabari uh, definitely cooled off. He had 31 through the middle of the third quarter, only finished with 33. So he definitely didn't have a great fourth quarter um, scoring-wise, but still 33, 14, and five assists, two steals, a block shot, 13 of 23 from the floor, three of five from three. He had it really going in the first you know two and a half quarters. It was just it was efficient. It was productive. He had he had good energy defensively. He was he was pretty active. I didn't think he was that bad, especially by his standards. I thought he was actually pretty good defensively. Had some ugly moments at times with uh, off ball stuff, but on the ball he's been competitive, and you could tell he was certainly jacked up for this game. After the game, he gave a pretty interesting interview that I would uh, recommend you guys watching on Fox Sports Southeast and uh, the Twitter feed over there as well if you miss this after the game. But he took some responsibility. Um, also, just kind of candidly said that it wasn't like a moral victory or anything like that, which I appreciated. He's uh, he's definitely a competitive guy. Mentioned uh, some referee stuff that I'm not really sure I followed that one necessarily, but I thought that Jar I thought that Jabari was uh, obviously very good in this game and also taking some more of a leadership role and being pretty candid which I thought was interesting after the contest but uh, yeah shouts to Jabari he was he was fantastic and without him in this game they would have had just no chance whatsoever to score so uh yeah in the end 62 of the 102 for uh Young and Parker and uh yeah it's been a two-man offense a lot for the last couple of weeks there have been a little bit of injections from like from Hunter on, on a couple of nights but other than that it's it's been a lot of young a lot of Parker and this game is a lot of young a lot of Parker and to honestly to the best possible thing those two guys were both in the positive and plus minus which is not a big surprise the Hawks were still good despite the, despite the defensive uh, shortcomings of shortcomings of those two players they were still good overall with them playing because that's how good they were on offense in this game but when they left it cratered and uh, that kind of speaks for itself um, looking ahead a little bit here before we get out of here on this fine Wednesday into Thanksgiving. The Hawks are off on Thanksgiving as the entire NBA is, but they were going to be, uh, I think, breaking bread together in Indiana on Thursday um, before they play the, the Pacers on Friday and then on the road against Houston on Saturday. As of right now, the plan for me, uh, just for my holiday programming standpoint, is I'm going to do both those games in one podcast, I think. If something insane happens uh, in the Indiana game, I might break in on Friday night late for a short podcast, but I am going to plan to sort of give myself a respite and do 
both games on one podcast. Um, since I am recording now and basically into Thanksgiving morning, um, hopefully everybody's on, everybody's on board with that. Again, if something crazy happens, if Trey has 60 on Friday, I will come back and re- I will definitely record a podcast. But alas, I hope you guys understand that. Um, please tell your friends about the podcast as always. And hopefully one of these times in the near future, the Hawks can stop this losing streak because um, to bring things full circle, the Hawks have now lost eight in a row and 14 of 16. It's been a little bit ugly. So, uh, Friday is definitely an easier matchup than, than it was on Wednesday. Indiana is much more beatable than Milwaukee, so we'll see if the Hawks can go in there and pull a minor upset over the Pacers on Friday. One more time, please subscribe to this podcast. Please tell a friend or two friends or three friends about the show. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and we'll see you on, I guess, Saturday night. So uh, stay tuned for that.